You're listening to McKinsey on Insurance Podcast. In this series, we feature experts discussing trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it today. My name is Alex Kimura, and I'm a partner with McKinsey based in Singapore. Today, I'm excited to share a conversation with Walter Deoud, founder and deputy CEO of Aviva Sing Life. We will hear about Walter's transition from a corporate executive to a startup CEO. You'll hear Walter tell us about Sing Life, offering innovation in the market. And then we'll also discuss the key challenges and trends in the industry, particularly as digital analytics and innovation become mainstream, and what are the growth opportunities created by the pandemic in this industry in the years ahead. So there's a lot to cover here. Welcome, Walter, and great to have you on the show. So just to start with the, the backstory on your journey uh, for Sing Life, you'd launched in 2014, but tell us more about you know the beginnings and how the idea was hatched. Sure. So by way of introduction, I'm Walter Daoda, the founder of Sing Life. I've been uh, living in Singapore for the last 20 years. I did spend a bit of time in Japan and in India along the way. I'm an actuary by profession and have been involved in insurance businesses all the way through. I'd been originally working with Swiss Re through South Africa, Japan, India, and back in Singapore. Spent some time as a consultant for a couple of years and realized I liked to build things myself rather than tell other people how to do it. Then moved to HSBC 2013, ran that business as the actuary and then the CEO until 2013 and started the Sing Life journey 2014 when it became real to me that there is an opportunity to build a new way of executing the business model that we have. So while we started the business formally in 2017 with the licenses, it did take us three years to go through the process of raising the required amount of capital, get the regulatory licenses in place, build the tech, build the team, and get and get going. So what was it like in the beginning? Uh, it was... It was a bit crazy. But, you know, the starting point with it all was is making the 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 step out of big corporate into a startup thing and getting the ducks aligned so that when you do this, you go to the regulator and that you know that you're going to be successful. You you know you're going to be able to actually deliver on what you think is possible. So the first step is going to the regulator and getting their blessing. And, and what I did at the time was I went to the regulator and said, "This is what I'm going to do." And they said, well, this is a bit unusual uh, because from a regulatory perspective, you look at the application forms, the applications forms talk about track record first and and capital. And they're all written in the way uh, to describe a foreign large company coming to establish a subsidiary here and not as a, a startup life insurance. And then we had a discussion about how much capital we needed to put in. So then it was off to the races to go and raise 50 million bucks. So how did you raise that money? And did you have to tap into your personal savings? Did you have to go out to friends and family? How, how did it work out? Yeah, so for personal savings comes first because you have to you have to demonstrate to even friends and family that there is something there that that's worthy of investing. So you know, fortunately, having had a reasonably good career, I had some reserves, but they did dwindle pretty quickly. So um, you know, you have to get friends and family to kind of keep you going. So raising money is tough. It took three years. The starting point was you thought. The, the most logical capital provider would be a large insurance company. If I could build a digital version of a of an inefficient organization, surely if it's successful, they would invest in it and, and there would be an exit for me folded back into a bigger company. And most uh, large companies loved what we were doing. They thought it was a great idea. But when it came down to to part with money, the idea of a large corporate investing in a startup and giving equity 
to people like me uh, just was unpalatable. But uh, so that was painful, very, very painful. The next phase was you say, well, like, well, that's kind of, you, you needed a big pocket of money. And so to find the intersection of a big pocket of money, a pocket of money that is available to invest in venture business and who's also willing to put to, uh, bets on financial services is actually a very small intersection of a Venn diagram. So I must have gone through, I don't know, 200 different channels. I had lots of failed attempts. I think we've made three formal applications to the regulator with capital uh, support. And during the process of the regulatory approvals for that, uh, those deals fell apart in one way or another. Either I wasn't willing to accept the terms or they changed their minds along the way or whatever it was. But it was, it was a painful, painful three years. I mean, a lot of people talk about making the transition from corporate to startup and and you talked about your journey and how tough it was, but was there a point where you felt like this is just too tough? I just need to give up here because there's too many hurdles. Often, but my wife says my biggest skill and my biggest challenge is that I'm an eternal optimist. And, and I think she, and she looks at it now and says to me, well, you know, Walter, you would have taken us into the abyss if you hadn't got it over the line because my personality is such that you know it's like a dog with a bone right you just carry on <laughs> of course there's days when you think oh my goodness what have i done um but i think for me the motivation of of doing things my way being in control of my own destiny with this absolute absolute conviction that what i was doing was necessary was the direction of travel it was just a matter of time to find the right components to get it over the line great Let's, let's just transition to Sing Life for a moment, um, now that we know the backstory. So, what's so different about Sing Life? What we decided, that, or the basic, of, the basic principles of the proposition, was that the insurance industry, from a technological perspective, had absolutely lagged technological advancement that we see all around us. You see payments industry being the first to really adopt you know, streamlining of tech. Banks were much quicker to follow. And uh, the Sing Life proposition was able to take the best of technology and turn that into real efficiency for customers. So in the early days, the proposition was totally about digital execution. We banned words like paper. We banned words like batch runs. These things were just not part of our psychology. And what we were able to do in the early days was to deliver a fully functional, end-to-end, seamless, instantaneous, executable administration and onboarding platform for insurance, compliance, governance, underwriting, whatever, it's all done, which is efficient in the extreme, right? So the technology uh, was then able to translate into a better value proposition for customers. We were able to position product at a 30% discount to the market, which then had knock-on effects all through the industry as we as we came out to, to deliver that proposition, which was a very product-centric approach but actually when you say what is special about sing life so it's not just the product the product is just one of the ingredients to the recipe the actual real secret sauce in sing life was the ability to present ourselves as a challenger brand to an industry which is in everybody's mind stale and that challengeness gave uh, massive support from community general public 
investors. So Alex, it's not just about the product. The product is just one of the ingredients that goes into what makes SingLife so special. The product enabled us to deliver something something good, but actually the real secret sauce is around how to position ourselves as a firm relative to a very, very stale industry. And by positioning ourselves as new, fresh, exciting, consumer-driven that was that was really what pushed pushed us over the line to the next. I mean, so you talked about product, right? And, and every VC will tell you, if you want to be a major disruptor, you have to solve a major pain point. What is that major pain point that you think you have solved or are embarking to solve? I think insurance in everybody's mind for a million years has been positioned as a necessary evil. Companies have always uh, sold the product based on you need to buy this product because if you die, bad things are going to happen. And it's this, it's a, it's a grudge purchase. And if you can change that pain point from a, a grudge purchase to a, a relationship enhancing or something that you're actually proud of having rather than that you buy out of reluctance, you get momentum out of that. That was very, very evident in, in our story. And tell me about Grow. You're, latest product what's so special about grow and what is it trying to solve there well grow grow is a i mean it's it's an it's a branch of a tree from our origination the, you, you can't really talk about grow until you talk about the earlier product evolution so we started our business looking purely at protection our protection products is the highest value part of the insurance ecosystem the margins are the highest your, your return on equity is the highest, but not everybody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, today's the day I'm going to go and buy some life insurance. But what we then realized is as we pivoted or not pivoted, but as the business proposition evolved was that in order to channel people towards that singular product that we wanted, which is the, uh, the protection stuff, we had to get closer to customers in their day to day. And we found through quite a lot of research and just gut feel that if we could get closer to a customer's cash, we could get closer to their overall wealth and ultimately the protection, which is the cherry on top of the cake, which we wanted to, to maximize. So we started that the wealth journey with the SingLife account, which was paradigm, which we said we wanted to be better than a bank. Why can't we play in a bank space? And we built bank-like capabilities using an insurance store of deposit or the store of money in and giving liquidity through cards, fast bank rails. Uh, and then once you've got that deposit of money, and that worked so quickly, we put a billion dollars of customers' money, 100,000 customers on the books in about seven months. And now once we had that proposition, grow is then a next phase to say, well, how do we then start to channel customers' money into a very low but high engagement product, a very high engagement to value creating for us, and then grow is then a, you know, a longer-term savings plan. Just want to talk a little bit about your acquisitions. You did the Zurich acquisition in 2017 and more recently uh, the merger with Aviva. How did those come about and what was the impetus behind that? The important thing for us, and it was it was a learning as we moved into the Aviva transaction, that scale is everything. You know, the economies of scale are so vital in this, this business and, and the Zurich portfolio probably accelerated our scale by about two years, I reckon, at the time. And our valuation a lot more given the economics of the transaction. So there's not many examples of a startup buying an incumbent uh, in the industry. And what are the challenges for a startup buying an incumbent? And what are the you know some of the challenges that you face? And what are the capabilities that you need to pull off something like that? So the challenges that you face, like you say, nobody thinks a startup's going to do this until they do. And everyone goes, who do you think you are coming here with your startup-iness and challenging us? And, and you know, even... 
conceiving that you are a worthy candidate of our big prestigious brand. And the challenges then are, how do you demonstrate that you're credible, that your uh, quality of capital is right, that your regulation's okay, that you're not going to screw up the data, that you're not going to mess up our customers, you're not going to uh, affect our brand. Those were things that we had to challenge. The, I think in our favor, we had a team of people who were, who were pros. We were known quantities as individuals. Of course, the brand wasn't, wasn't known. But then Singapore life as a brand does have a certain ring to it in terms of establishment around trust and the growth that we'd shown so far suggested that there was an avenue there. But the challenge was, was on um, trust and, and, and pedigree. And then what are the challenges that you faced integrating with, let's say, Aviva or, or these sort of companies? So Zurich was a portfolio transfer in. There was not an acquisition of the, the actual uh, physical entity. And I remember going to the regulator because we'd give them regular updates. And, you know, through my previous history, I've gone through the process of migration of portfolios before. And we were able to go through a process of negotiating the deal in about the July, August of uh, 2017. We got the regulatory approval of that in December 2018, 2017. We got the scheme of transfer through the courts in March uh, of 2018, and we were fully integrated, like no systems changes. We fully migrated everything into our core stuff uh, by April 2018. So we could do that very, very straightforward. Aviva is a bit different. It's a much bigger, bigger animal. So now as a result of this, Walter, are you an incumbent or an insure tech? Where, where do you sit on the, on the, on the definition? There is a, one thing that came to me a, a while ago was that every successful startup becomes what they hate, which is an incumbent. Your growth leads you to a position of needing to defend that growth or perpetuate that growth. And you then need to worry much more about, you can't just do everything that you want and know that it's high stakes risk. You have to now be protective of the business. So I would say that we have transitioned from a from a startup to a, a high growth incumbent i think uh, we have a high potential if you look at our capabilities going forward i think we still have quite a strong lead on the industry in terms of what we can do but being a much bigger animal now does make us go a little bit slower than i'd like to and where do you see opportunities in singapore for high growth i mean singapore remains one of the fastest growing wealth hubs in the world uh, our wealth is growing faster than our gdp Wealth will continue to to just expand. I, I think that advisory or growth in advisory services will slow, but the the pattern of advice will change. We see that bank assurance will lose market share, agency will continue to mar- lose market share, whereas the Aviva proposition, which is around third party advice or independent advice, is much more prominent or in growing for advisory type of services. I think that the digitalization of, of financial services is still in its infancy here. You see the promulgation of the SIF, Stashaways and others on the wealth side. But if you can integrate that with bank-like relationships, asset management stuff, protection all into one space, I think you can super app uh, financial services in a space that hasn't really been done before, which naturally implies, implies growth. But how do you look at competition? Because, you know, we're seeing a lot of incumbents digitizing their agency, digitizing bank assurance, and really trying to boost productivity and grow. Do you see that as a threat to your business? Or how do you see that? To me, I don't care. You know, if you're the cyclist at the running at the head of the Tour de France, if you're looking over your shoulder every five minutes to see how far you, you are ahead and how quickly the gap's closing, you actually ride slower. So my view is just drive it like you stole it. Uh, you just go hell for leather, believing your gut around what you're able to deliver and go fast. Yeah. 
it goes without saying that the industry is going to catch up and that our lead that we have will, will narrow. But that doesn't mean I'm worried about it. I just, just got to run faster. Yeah. And what do you think in terms of, you know, key challenges, trends for the future? What does it take to win in this space? Is it really around distribution? Is it really around product? What, what are the certain capabilities to really win, let's say, in the next five to 10 years? I don't think it's about product. I think there's enough product in the marketplace to blow your mind. I think distribution is key. I think, as I said, the agency will get lesser. Uh, bank assurance will get lesser. I think there is still a need for ad financial advice. Now, whether that is done in a non-commissioned or a, or a third-party way, I think that is a trend that needs to be managed. So we look towards perpetuating an independent advisory mechanic for advice and, and the distribution that comes along with that, plus the ability to integrate propositions to third-party ecosystems and add advice to those ecosystems for the furtherance of the business. So advice is key for distribution, but you're not going to get the maximum benefit of that advice unless the product capability or the experience of the relationship is first rate. You're gone are the days where people are happy to just be sold a product and then uh, forgotten. People do want a better level of engagement with their financial providers and access to that in real time. But do you look outside of the insurance industry for any inspiration? You start off with just um, the, the oldest one in the book is nobody goes to a travel agent to buy plane tickets. And, and, and that story is perpetuated across every part of our, our ecosystem. The technology integration into core systems the use of you know microservice to, or mesh-like interactions of componentry is is not just an insurance thing; it's an every industry thing. And our job is to take the best of these experiences or technologies and others, and and see how they can add value to our our infrastructure. Okay, just pivoting to a little bit of insure tech. Had a question I wanted to ask. You know, we're, we're seeing this whole advent of SPAC and uh, insure tech valuation and so forth. What do you think about that? Is it a really good investment for some of these things? And how, how would you assess that? I think that there's an evolution in the capital markets. You know, if I'd had as frothy uh, an investor or, or capital market situation five years ago when we started looking for capital, I would have gone, I would missed out on a whole lot of pain <laughs> that we spoke about earlier. So I think that there is a, an abundance of capital. And I think that there is a, this abundance of capital is driving valuations up beyond what is intrinsically there. I think on the insurtech side, like in everything, you know, one in 10 will survive, but the nine in 10 that fail at least have a bit of a fighting chance because they're getting more capital. But I think valuations are, are high. I also believe that on the insurtech space where we were successful relative to the, the market was that we went immediately full stack uh, rather than looking at a specific use case or component. The problem with use case or component is that you have to, you can't control your whole destiny, your whole end to end. If you can manage the customer all the way to the regulator, to the, the whole ecosystem, you can, you can keep it all together much better. Where I see insurtechs challenging at the moment is that most of the insurtech stuff actually needs an insurance company to partner with. But do you think these incumbents need insurtechs going forward to build their capabilities and expertise? I think they do, but the perverseness of it is that what the insurtechs are doing is encouraging, is doing the learning mm. on behalf of the incumbents. And what happens is these arrogant, well, I've used the word a couple of times, but they'll come in and, and look at 10 insurtech capabilities 
And they'll say, oh, that's great. And nine times out of 10, they'll walk away, go to their IT guy and say, that guy's building that union, you need to build it yourself, uh, which I mm. see all the time. Some guys are, are making some, mm. some inroads um, and then you know, build the thing in and then, then flow in. But it's, it's pretty rare to see. And what is sort of the, the longer term ambition for Sing Life? I mean, obviously, the, you're still consuming the, the recent acquisitions, but the vision for the 10 years out, do you plan to go into different geographies, different business lines? What is the vision here? Uh, there was a show when I was a kid on TV called Pinky and the Brain. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's got these two mice and every night they'd kind of hang out in the kitchen and Pinky was this lank, lanky, long-armed mouse and he'd kind of go over to Brain who was this mouse who has this big head and Pinky would say to Brain, say, hey, Brain, so what are we going to do tonight, Brain? And Brain would respond, the same thing we do every night, Pinky, try and take over the world. Uh, and that's what we've got to do. We're just going to go big and go hard and take on opportunities when we see them. We have set ourselves an aspiration to be regional, a Singapore homegrown yet regional business that gives us an opportunity for, for growth. Singapore will grow, but not at this, the pace that we see in Philippines or other neighboring countries. So we have a, a number of things underway there. But the second thing we see is not only just grow geographically, but we have to grow product-wise and through the financial services landscape. So in the old days where an insurance company was just an insurance company, that's one thing. We've already transcended the boundaries into broader financial services through competition for deposits. And I think that's going to permeate as we go. We've built ourselves into the cap payments capabilities. Uh, we will have to expand into other parts of the ecosystem to vertically integrate further through whether it would be healthcare administration, healthcare payments, provider networking are all ancillary businesses which are accretive to our ecosystem. And so that growth is is all there. How would you or even your shareholders rate success? What would be a determinant for this is we've made it kind of event? Yeah. So I think the earlier stage Sing Life shareholders had invested in us more to see how far we could press the, the boundaries and use us as an experiment for their bigger businesses. As we've grown into uh, the Aviva Singlife Group or Singlife now having consumed the Aviva business, the ambition is slightly different. I think it's now about actually bedding down that scale and growing it into a much bigger position. Our shareholders are still growth hungry. Yes. Uh, it is, we are not a dividend play as an investor company. We will be reinvesting every penny that we make into growing the business harder fantastic. with a view to extract maximum equity value for ourselves and for future shareholders as we grow the business. So thanks, Walter. Just another question on the insure tech. I think a lot of listeners will be really interested. What advice would you give incumbents working with insure tech? Uh, be honest and open and not arrogant and appreciate that these insure techs have given ideas more thought than the incumbents have and have thought through this very deeply. InsureTechs are not for you to just learn from and steal their ideas and incorporate them. Respect the fact that a lot of these guys are you know, eating baked beans out of tin cans with a view to improve the industry. Uh, so buy them, embrace them, invest in them, grow them and support them uh, to the best of your ability for the benefit of the industry. Thanks, Walter. Thanks for all the insights. Great conversation and uh, thanks for coming. No problem. Happy to be involved. Thank you for listening to McKinsey on Insurance podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to McKinsey on Insurance wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back with another episode in a few weeks.